This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 478. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 478 you're listening to. My guest today is Javi Banuelos, who's an audio engineer based in Victorville, California. And he has worked with Dream Lover, Kiki Diego, Kayla Vonderheide, and many others. And he and I are acquainted via our mutual friend and former WCA guest, Chad Blake. Javi is somebody that I've been seeing at NAM here for the past few years. So I finally like cornered him at, at this last NAM and said, Hey, Javi, would you be on the show? And he, uh, he agreed. And I'm really happy that he's on. The interesting thing about Javi, and and this is not unique to him because I've had other guests like this, Javi has a day job as a construction inspector slash coordinator for BNSF Railroad. And this interview, I think, is very full circle. It ties into the previous interview with Andrew Sheps, episode 477 that I did at NAM. The reason that it ties together is Javi was in the audience when that conversation between Andrew and I took place. And and Andrew and I also got into the conversation about having day gigs, having other economic opportunities to offset uh, the unpredictability of what it is we do as audio professionals. So we're going to talk all about that. I'm really very hot on that topic right now in my mind, and I think it's relevant. So I'm very excited to have Javi on to not only get into his background as an audio professional, but to discuss the very nature of this day job augmenting what it is we do as audio professionals. So, Javi Banuelos coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about the cold hard truth. I mentioned in the intro the discussion that took place there at the NAM show when I was interviewing Andrew Sheps talking about, you know, day jobs and diver- diversification a bit. You know, I think it was Steve Genowick, former WCA guest Steve Genowick, who said something to the effect of, and he was in the audience when he said this, said something to the effect of like, in response to um, uh, an audience member's question, I think he said there's three or four uh, big time mixers who are working all the time and then the rest of us are always trying to hustle. There's those two data points to think about. But also I was talking to former WCA guest, Brendan Duffy. He was talking to me about uh, a former student of his and he said the student really was kind of not complaining, but just kind of frustrated with the state of what is out there in terms of content uh, for getting started and really kind of understanding the path. And this is not a, 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 a criticism of my f- friends over at Mix with the Masters or Pensado's Place or any of that. It's, it's more of just like a stating the fact that they are talking to people who are already successful. They are presenting the success post the work, right? The, they're showing people who have already had success. And there's not really a lot of content out there that talks about how to really get going how to also get going in today's environment. It's not just about the past, you know, uh, if we're talking about the past, the path was different for a lot of a lot of the guests that I have on my show as, as well as that show up at Mix with the Masters and Pensado and the other things. So I'm hoping that what we can do this year is elevate the discussion, whether it be here on the podcast or in the public forum at, at the NAM show or AES or, or forums uh, like Gearspace, where we can uh, really get into the nitty gritty here and talk about how shit's changed, right? It's difficult to do this. It always has been difficult. And there is, I guess, whether you call it a sad reality or not, the, the fact of the matter is, is that not only has it changed, but it fluctuates so much. And you know me, I'm super bullish on diversification. And I am for a very particular reason. I've always talked about if you put all your eggs in one basket and that basket collapses, then your eggs are broken, right? You get the analogy. And it's the same with a day job. You could put all your time into working for the you know, XYZ company, and then one day, Management changes, direction changes, priorities change, and you're you're out. 
And then what do you do? So it's not just a, a, a problem unique to audio. It's a problem unique to all of us wherever we work. You know, unless you have tenure or you work a union gig, there is no guarantees. So what does that mean? As audio professionals, we have to, I think, honestly, I think we have to think asymmetrically about how we do this. We not only have to take my and it's not just my advice, but you know, my my position here on diversification and amp it up a whole nother level. Andrew is a great example of that. The plugins that he does, all the appearances he does, the sound flow work that he does. So look at that as a possible example. And it may take thinking outside of your comfort zones, thinking outside the box of how to create the world you want to live in as an audio pro. I know the the ideal position is just to like, hey, I just want to mix or master or record records all the time or produce records. That's great, but that's not going to be the reality for the majority. So what do you do? Well, okay, once again, we think about what it is we want to be doing, what's a fairly realistic version of that, and we start to say, okay, well, I like, I like doing this. I like mixing records. Uh, you know, for me, I also like doing this podcast. But there's other things that I'm thinking about for the future. And here, here's a case in point. My wife's got a great job. We get our health care from her. She's not always going to have that job. And years down the road, there could be a, a, a point where we are paying out the nose for health care. So I told her, I said, hey, what if I'm teaching... You know, even I think at a community college level or 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 a, or a private institutional level, and we get our health care from from that eventually as we grow older. Which you know we're probably going to need more health care as we grow older. So what I am doing right now, and and this might surprise some of you, I actually don't have a degree. I do have some college underneath my belt. I went for I got thirty units or hours or whatever you'd call it at uh, City College of San Francisco, but I never finished anything. So I'm currently, as of this episode, going back to Diablo Valley College here in Northern California, getting a music industry studies associate's degree for starters, because that's the minimum barrier of entry to teach, I think, those topics, like audio-related topics, at least in the state of California. I don't know about other states. I'm aiming for California because I love California. So will I get a bachelor's? I don't know. But at minimum, I'm going back and I'm doing this. It's humbling. Uh, because I have to take a Pro Tools 101 class, and it, that takes a great amount of patience. And yeah, I'm learning some stuff along the way, but I'm getting away from the bigger picture point here of I'm looking ahead. I'm I'm looking at how to shape my particular ecosystem of how I live. So doing audio, you know, mixing records in, in stereo and Atmos. Obviously, the Atmos is a factor. It's a it's another income stream, another another point, another data point, and. Uh, I like the podcast. The advertisers bring in a little bit of income. They help cover the costs of it and provide a little buffer. Definitely can't make a living off that, but it's a little something. It, but the 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 possibilities for teaching in the future and getting some healthcare and some income from that that's another income stream. So y you see what I'm doing here. I'm 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 placing the chess pieces on the board and I'm trying to manage all the different things here. What What's possible? What, what could bring an income? What interests me? What intellectually stimulates me? But also what feeds into the bigger audio career. Now, in Javi's case coming up here in the interview, you'll see Javi works for BNSF Railroad doing stuff uh, or for a third-party company that uh, augments them. And that's a little bit different. And that could be part of your world too. You can you can build your ecosystem as you see fit. It's an all a cart thing. You can pick and choose. I want to work. Let's say you want to work at Starbucks, and maybe you're going to work 20 hours a week just to get a little healthcare. Uh, maybe you're going to work over at another shop, and maybe you're going to do audio in addition to that. So I think probably to encapsulate this and and tie this up because we need to get to this interview. Or what I'm going to suggest you think about is not that audio is something you do on the side. Like, d don't look at it that way. Look at it as another income stream. If you're, you know, if you have a day gig, let's say you work at Home Depot, that's that's one of your income streams. Your audio work is another income stream. It's not a hobby. It's something that you do if you take it seriously and you get paid for it. It's it's an income stream and it's it's your professional. 
So this discussion will continue. And if I see you at trade shows and you want to talk about this more, or, or you might even see me try to instigate some panels here in the future, let's keep it going. Let's figure out how we can all keep doing what we love, but also be smart about it and, and really kind of uh, figure out ways to continue this, but also be smart about it too and, and, and really drive home this diversification model. That's about it. Yeah. More to come to be, we'll just say to be continued, right? That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and in a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom. Very simply, just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation. And I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Javi Banuelos here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Javi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Good. Good to see you. It's been so long. What's it been, like a week? Yeah, which is nice because it's usually every year. So Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's turned to the yearly tradition. So I was looking it up. You live in Victorville, which for the listener, just to give the listener a little geography here, Victorville is about six and a half hours south of where I'm at here in Lafayette. And it's about two hours, 40 minutes outside of Los Angeles. Is that about right by your estimation? I would say downtown LA would probably be a good hour and a half with no traffic, possibly two. But yeah, we're like the midpoint between LA and Vegas. We're like that pit stop. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I was looking up current times of what it's going to take. So it's like 84 miles, right? Something like that. That sounds about right. Okay. If you've got your maps out, listeners, you can look this up. And now I have to preface this by saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but by my estimation, Javi, you and I know each other because of our mutual friend, Chad Blake. 
Yes, we actually met the same day. Like I met you and Chad the same, that same breakfast. I don't know if you remember. How many breakfasts ago was that? Or how many NAMs, <laughs> how many NAMs ago was that? I believe that was NAM 2019. Okay. Yeah, so that same day that I met Chad and connected with him was the same day I met you and Lidge. Yeah, my brother from another breakfast. podcast. Yep, yep. Well, it was great. This past NAM 2024, the three of us got to sit down and just chat about some cool topics. So it's always good to see the two of you. Let's get into the past here a bit. Where did you grow up? So I actually grew up in Hawthorne. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's in the South Bay, right by LAX area. Okay. Like 10 minutes, 15 minutes from that's LAX. A, that's in your South Bay. My South Bay is different. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the North Bay. <laughs> <laughs> we we have a South Bay here in the Bay Area. Do you? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's ironically it's by SFO, so it's by the airport. Okay. Okay, okay. No, yeah, it's 10 15 minutes. So I grew up there. Basically finished middle school down there and then uh, my parents decided to get out and buy a house cuz we were living in an apartment all my childhood, so paying all that rent down there and they're like, "Screw it. For the price that we pay down here, we could buy a house up in the desert." And that's what they did. They ended up moving up before I even finished middle school. They let me stay down there with my sister just so I could finish. And then I started high school up here. So the apartment was in Hawthorne? Yeah. Yep. And then where, mm -hmm. was, where was the house? They bought in Hesperia, which they still live in that house now. They're okay. still there. Yeah. They live like 10 minutes from me now. Okay. And brothers or sisters? Yeah. I'm the youngest of four. My oldest brother, he lives in Linwood, which is an LA area. And then my sister still lives in that Hawthorne area, my other sister. And then I have a sister right above me. She lives like literally down the street from my parents' house. <laughs> she didn't want to stray too far from them. And growing up, what was it like in terms of music? Were your parents an influence musically? Was anybody musical in your house? How did that go down? So no one's musically inclined. There was no musicians in our family at all. Hmm. But there was a lot of music playing. Like my dad had his thing with very traditional Mexican music. So is my mom. And then since I'm way younger than all my other siblings, you know, I was kind of like, it's almost like I was the only child growing up, hmm. you know, basically from seven or eight. It was just me and my parents. So when my siblings would take me out, they all had their own different tastes. Like my brother introduced me to that modern day hip hop, West Coast hip hop, stuff like that. And then my sister introduced me to rock en español, which is Spanish rock. Yeah, I had a very diverse music upbringing. Just no one played anything. No one sang <laughs> or did anything like that. When did you take an interest in how records were made and, and the process? Honestly, it wasn't until I started playing in bands, which was when I was 18, 19, mm -hmm. was when I realized, you know, I had a, my first band, one of my bandmates, he had just finished recording school. He had just came off of that. So he had his little Pro Tools set up at his place. And that's like the first time I actually saw like a little recording rig. But before that, it was never, it never actually came to my mind like, hey, like, this is a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It was definitely eye-opening. And even more so once I started doing it, it just, it was even more daunting than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> what was your primary instrument? Drums. Oh, so you're um, a perfect engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, All of us drummers. I, <laughs> well, if I would have known what I know now, it would have protected my ears a lot more, that's for sure. I always had an interest for music from a very early age, just to kind of go back a little bit. My parents are very old school Mexican. So to them, being a musician was kind of not what they thought I would be doing. So it wasn't a very supportive thing, mm -hmm. um, especially a drummer. You know, it's like no one wants to hear that all day. <laughs> so I was the air drummer for a few years. And then finally, when I was able to get a job and afford it, I bought my first drum set and I kind of just took off from there, just playing by ear and then finally took personal lessons, learned to read music and did all that stuff for a while while playing in bands as well. 
The way you describe your parents just now, is that kind of a hint of like, and I, I swear I'm not trying to play on my own title here, but very working class. <laughs> um, just kind yes, of yes. like get into the trades or go to college. Exactly. Yeah, you know, the typical thing. It's like you, you work hard, you go to school, get good grades, go to college. And I went to college for a bit. I, I'm going to college right now, actually. <laughs> I went back. But yeah, it was for them, it was like, you either go to college, get a degree, or you just get a good job. You work your ass off type of thing. So yeah. I learned a good work ethic from all that. I started working as soon as I was able to at 16. So that taught me a lot, which translates in the studio. You know, it's you know staying busy and you're constantly looking for the next thing. You're constantly looking to learn. You're constantly kind of on top of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of helped me even with my day job, of course, staying on top of that. I, I do want to come back to the day job thing, but I want to pursue yeah. this this a bit. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about the progression as, as an audio professional. Like, what are the steps that, that you've taken over the years? So the way it kind of started, it was kind of like accident. I just bought like a small little rig for myself just to record my own music as I was in other bands. And then from there, it just... People were liking my demos, so I just started recording friends' demos, and then I think once I did a couple of demos, I was like, well, maybe I should kind of look more into, like, the proper way to do this, and I just, like, wing it, you know? Mm -hmm. I had Pro Tools, and I had a Focusrite 18i20, so I had eight channels, enough to record my drums and stuff like that, or any drum kit, so I had a sufficient amount of gear. But yeah, like once I decided like, all right, this is something I want to go after. It was uh, a lot of YouTubes <laughs> at first. And then I started buying a couple books. And then eventually I stumbled upon a mix with the masters. Ah. And that has been a pretty big thing in my life as far as engineering, just getting into that whole world. I'm curious in your early YouTube research there, is there anybody that's still around that you were gravitating to? that you got your information from, that you found the most useful? Honestly, I don't even remember what videos I was watching. Now <laughs> Now that I kind of get into YouTube sometimes in my feed, I just see so many random videos, I just get overwhelmed that I don't even bother to click on any of them. I, every once in a while, I'll find something and I'll click on it, but now it's I just stick to Mix with the Masters, and if it's not that, it's literally me in the studio experimenting on my own. Mm -hmm. I think early on, it was such a huge learning curve for me to learn not just Pro Tools, but the whole mixing, recording, all that. It was just a lot of sleepless nights, a lot for the first couple years. I, re I really took it upon myself. You know, once I got in, I got bit by that bug, I guess, or whatever you call it. I just went for it. And I didn't feel like it was work at all. I loved every minute of it even though i only slept two hours and then i had to wake up the next day to go to work or something like that you know it was i enjoyed it why because because <laughs> most people are staying up binging netflix series but you're staying up working on pro tools yeah 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 uh, honestly like even now i still say it's like my happy time this is my place right here you know in the studio it's i could be here all day every day <laughs> how did it progress into a more professional arrangement for you or did it did it not grow into that explain that to me like continue the progression there yeah so after the demos it was just word of mouth i've never promoted anything so once i started getting some of these demos it just got out to people i didn't know like friends of friends and at that point was when i was getting people asking me like hey how much do you charge to mix an album or to mix a sing whatever you know so that's when I guess it started kind of being a thing where I was actually getting paid now. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, it's still the same type of clientele, same artists, kind of the local scene, whether it's SoCal-based. I've had a couple of out-of-state projects. But yeah, mostly just down LA area or Riverside, San Bernardino area artists that come to me. And I guess when I started getting paid is when I, I would consider it be a little bit more on the professional and I could actually justify like, 
these extra six, eight hours I'm spending in the studio after work, it's kind of paying off now. You know, yeah. as opposed to still doing all this work for nothing and still investing in the studio type of thing. Because that's hard. <laughs> Did you find it difficult to land on how to price yourself? Yes. <laughs> I still don't know if I'm priced correctly, to be honest. <laughs> I just kind of feel it out. And from the day I started to now, I've definitely increased a bit. But I really don't know what the market's like, to be honest. I've never really asked. I know it's kind of like, I feel like it's one of those things you don't really ask because mm -hmm. everyone has a different price or everyone's kind of flexible. And to touch on that, one good thing about having the day job thing is I am able to be flexible with these local bands. It's not like trying to get every gig I get. I get the gigs that I want, that I like. And then I trust a lot of these bands and I might get bit in the butt one day, but I trust people. I take their word and you know, I might charge something up front or whatever, but for the most part, most bands, their budgets are small and I do a lot of payment plans with bands, mm. which I know coming from that side, before I started, that would have been perfect back in the day when I was playing in bands and recording records, you know, with my bands. That's the daunting thing is paying for that studio time. So I kind of help artists like that. Yeah. Are you mostly mixing or are you also doing tracking? I do tracking, but only if it's like close friends or friends of friends, and then I'll have to kind of meet them first. Because I mean, my studio is here at home. So I was listed for a while on Google. I'm pretty sure I took my studio down, but not the actual location of my studio, but I just had like my number and business. Mm -hmm. And I was just getting all these phone calls for uh, tracking. And it was like, I don't think I want all these random people coming to my house like that. So but like I said, for the most part, I think all the artists I've worked with is either friends or friends of friends that are now my friends. So it feels like family, like every artist I've had in here is like family. And do you get a fair amount of work that's just mixing? Yeah. Well, since COVID, it definitely bumped that up. Some of the artists I was tracking before that, obviously they, they got their rig and started yeah. tracking themselves and... So yeah, I do, I would say like half 50-50 mm -hmm. mixing or recording and mix. Let's talk about the day job thing. And this conversation you and I are having is so timely because as we're having this conversation, I just published the episode, it's number 477. The irony, this comes full circle. Number one, you were there in, in the audience. Yeah. Number two, I put out this little, they call them audiograms. I put them on Instagram. Mm. They have audio running over a still image and some oh, waveforms. Okay. And I put a quote that kind of was a combination of things Andrew said, squeezed into a minute delivery. And it essentially said that there's no shame in having a day job and that you could be, you know, the most badass person in whatever it is. He named a bass, he just said bass player, mm -hmm. who potentially might be loading FedEx planes <laughs> during the day, but at night was a badass bass player. And I wonder how did Andrews, because you were there at the moment, in <laughs> fact, I think I looked at you when you, when he was talking about this, cause I was thinking of you as he was saying it, how did that affect you? How did that make you feel that Andrew Sheps of all people <laughs> was saying, Hey, yeah. you can do this and be pro and have a day job. Does that make you feel even more right about your situation? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think the biggest insecurity is like exactly what he said on that podcast was everyone feels like because you're not in the business 100% and that's your sole income that you're not doing something right or you're not top notch. Yeah. Basically. Or at least that's how I felt about it. But just to kind of finish touching up on what Andrew said, I think it definitely gave me a lot of reassurance. I mean, that guy's the man. <laughs> so if he said it, it's like, damn, you don't really think of it like that. I mean, I, I talk to Chad all the time and he expressed his workflow and stuff like that. But to hear from another big top-notch engineer, it's like, okay, like this is, it's for real. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to make it, don't matter who you are or how big you are. Yeah, and I'll tell you some of the comments 
And just the amount of sharing of that post alone that I did was remarkable to me. And Brian, Brian Loudenslager, who's a, who's a friend yeah. from Loudon Audio from the mm-hmm. microphone company, Brian chimed in and was just like, this is real shit, people. And he said, this, this is an occurrence with even Grammy-winning engineers. Yeah, and you don't think about that. You don't. And I, I, at and, least I didn't. <laughs> and everybody's situation is different. And quite honestly, I know a number of mostly male engineers whose wives have great jobs, mine being one of them, where it takes the edge off and it allows for a little flexibility. Mm-hmm. So I love the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I love that I'm talking to you right at this moment, right after that episode, because yeah. I think it, <laughs> I think it's more prevalent and relevant than we think it is. Yeah, well, it seems like it now, hearing Andrew, but touching up on the whole spouse, for the longest time, I was sole income of the family, so there was no letting up as far as the day job goes. It's like... You're trying to provide first of all, and then everything else is kind of second at that point. So it's not like I could really get something a little easier. I basically just a little background. I, I worked for 10 years for the railroad and now I just do uh, inspection coordinating for mm-hmm. the railroad. Schedule wise, it's better, but I mean, it's still, it, it could still be uh, stressful and, and time consuming. But yeah, being the sole income of the family, it definitely adds a little bit of stress and you definitely have to make sure your family's taken care of first, foremost, before anything else. When you say, I work for the railroad, what does that mean? <laughs> like, when, who, so pre- who is the railroad technically? So prior to the position I'm at now, I worked for Santa Fe Railroad, so okay. BNSF, on the maintenance side, on the engineering maintenance, track maintenance. Uh-huh. And uh, I did a little bit of everything there. Started as a laborer machine operator, welder, did that. And then uh, I got this job offer last year. It's kind of like a third party to BNSF. And what I do now is I just do inspections and do a project coordinating. So kind of like a project manager for BNSF. But I don't work for BNSF now, if that makes sense. Yeah. So our company does project oversight for BNSF for structural projects like bridges. So I just do a lot of driving, a lot of reports and that sort of thing now, as yeah. opposed to more labor-intensive stuff like I used to. Was that a, a union-based job at BNSF? Yeah, it was. And it was good when I first started. I mean, not to really talk down on it or, at all, but it was a good job for the most part. It's just, you know, like I always tell people, there's always something better. So I got this opportunity, and it, it, I think it's working out better for me personally. I know what SF stands for in BNSF, but what does BN stand for? Burlington Northern. So that was the railroad up in the Northwest, and they merged with Santa Fe, which was down here on the Southwest Division. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. 
Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20 and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Where I grew up in southern New Mexico, that's where for years we would see those trains come by with the Santa Fe Railroad logo on them. Yeah. That sound in the background of the train honking its horn, it sounds great off in the distance, not very nice up front <laughs> or close by. But it was it's just such a, I associate that sound with growing up in, in the desert. Really? For me, it's the opposite. Growing up down in the city, I might have kind of remember seeing Metrolink driving around, but I don't remember freight trains driving. I'm sure I've probably seen them, I just don't remember. But when I my buddy, back before I hired out, he told me about it because he worked as a carman there. Like, oh, you should apply to BNSF. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> so uh, he's like, yeah, it's the railroad. I was like, okay. At the time, I was already doing construction. So it was an easy transition because I was doing labor-intensive stuff anyways. It was actually too easy because before that, I was uh, working for a pipe company down in ditches. And in that type of work, you're trying to get as much footage of pipe per day you're just go 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 all day and with the railroad it's safety first it's like Mm. slow down take it easy and you're working but it's it was definitely a lot slower paced than than my previous job it took me a while to adjust (laughs) to the slower pace at first i would tell people i'm like i feel like they're testing me out here like like i should be like more gung-ho and and jump out of the truck because everyone was just kind of chilling there for a lot of the time. But you don't realize till a little bit after it's like, oh yeah, you have to wait for protection on the tracks and all this job setup and job briefings before you even get out to work. So it's definitely a lot slower paced in that sense. So it was a pretty easy transition. I always ask this for people who've got day gigs like this. Mm -hmm. Are there aspects of that job that inform what you do as an audio professional, whether it's business or people or like any aspect? I think if anything, maybe just communication, like staying up with invoices or or just following up with clients. I guess just speaking too, because I speak in front of like 30, 40, 50 work groups every morning. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I was horrified of public speaking. Being in this position for a year, I've definitely been doing a lot of that. So it's kind of helped me loosen up quite a bit. But I know when I was even with BNSF, I don't know, I would just get even more inspired to work just because I I just hated the fact that I had a day job (laughs) and I couldn't be in the studio all day. So it kind of gave me like that extra fire, like to just, when I got in the studio, it was like, go, 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 whether it was like working on a project or just learning more and I would take that as something learning-wise. It taught me what I don't want to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to do music if I can, or at least be able to kind of balance out a little bit more as far as a little less day job heavy and a little bit more music type of thing. Find a nice sweet spot. And like Andrew had indicated in that interview, he just talked about how when you do the day job all day, then you're like intently creative and just focused on Mm -hmm. what that job is in the world of audio. Yeah, that's all I I would think about. I mean, I probably should have been paying more attention to my job itself (laughs) because I was working around trains. Right. But a lot of the time, like there's a lot of downtime, a lot of drive time. And it was usually me and a couple other guys in a truck and you're driving out to these job sites. So I was usually in the back seat and all that time it was like, Listening up, you know, like your podcast or watching Mix with the Masters or referencing music or just staying busy on the music side and, and definitely wearing my hearing protection when I, when I was getting out there. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people don't. Oh, you know, around. I, it's something I pay attention to in a lot of just going through construction sites or just yeah. seeing that. I'm always like, are you kidding? You're like, you got a yeah. jackhammer and you're not wearing protection? I was a hearing protection guy. Whenever we'd jump out of the truck, I had a pocket full on my vest always. I was like, hey, who needs some earbuds or whatever? And they're like, no, no, we're good, we're good. It's like, dude, like even just the trains driving by are loud as hell. So it's, I guess I'm the only one that appreciates my hearing at this point. 
But that's interesting. I'm imagining you riding in this truck with other people. You've got your AirPods in and you've got your phone yeah. out and you're like checking out a mix with a master's video or listening to a podcast, which is great because it really gets you to sit and think about the content and then you arrive home later and jump back in or do something on the weekend or a holiday and you're in it and you're focused and you're, you're applying what you've heard. And I wonder, it really gives you a deeper appreciation for when you are in the studio. Yeah, yeah. You definitely live more in the moment when you're in here, especially when I'm tracking. Tracking's definitely a lot different, a lot more set up. And you know, obviously you're with either an artist or a band. And I appreciate every every second of that because I know it's not always like that. <laughs> and it could be your last gig. You never know. You know, I always take every gig very personally. I take every project very personally and, and I always try and make it the best that I can. But it also accomplishes something that I'm bullish about on the podcast. All the regular listeners are going to be like, oh shit, here he goes. He's going to talk about diversification again. <laughs> but I mean, that's really what it is. It's just like you have this, this day gig that brings in the income that covers the bases of home for your family, but it can also help you buy audio gear, friends. And <laughs> and in, and and don't tell and, my wife that. Yeah, we we certainly won't do that. <laughs> but it also, um, as Andrew said, you're not dependent on the artist to pay your bills. So that's just yet another income stream. The recording end of things that can either be reinvested into itself, or it can just be gravy on top of what you're already making at your day job. Right, right. And for most people. A job like the one I have, my day job, you'd be set. I'm not rich, but we live comfortably. But I just feel like I need to be doing music. And like I tell people, whether I do it for artists or whether I'm doing it for money, or I'm always going to be doing music in one way or another, even if it's just for myself. It's kind of my escape. It just, the engineering thing, it just kind of fell on me. And I honestly enjoy it a lot more than being on stage. I know a lot of people don't believe that, but... <laughs> I've always been introverted, so it's like being behind the scenes. Is, I didn't know this side of the music industry, so once I found it, I was like, oh, this is way more up my alley. Let me ask you this. You watch Mix of the Masters, you do all these podcasts, you do these recording sessions, and you mix stuff. I mean, I see you at NAMM the last several years, so clearly it's not just a passing fad. It's not a hobby, per se. So yeah. are there things that you have thought about in terms of growing the audio side of your world or will it remain in the position that it's in for you? I've been brainstorming on things, probably crazy things like even starting like a label, a small indie label yeah, with like an artist or two or even the Atmos thing, especially after this last NAM, it was like there was some more reassurance of it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like I would try it but financially, I can't right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing it. That's for sure. Well, you know, you can always call <laughs> me. I'll, I'll help you join the cult. <laughs> I know, man. Yeah. I've heard it and it sounds great, especially at this last NAM. We were at the Neumann booth and we were listening to a couple of Jimmy Douglas's mixes. Mm -hmm. And they were just amazing. That was like the best I've ever heard Atmos. I don't listen to Atmos at home. I've only heard it a couple times. I think I've heard one of Andrew's mixes, I think last NAM, last year. Yeah. And then this year when I heard Jimmy's mixes and it was crazy. And I kind of always been into that binaural kind of world just because of Chad and all he's done with, with that back in the, I would say what, like early nineties or something. Yeah. He started incorporating all that stuff. So I was kind of aware of it, but this whole Dolby thing, it just, it's perfect for that scene, for that sound. Well, to come through and come to life. It might it might be a bit of a gateway drug, but I will say this. <laughs> I went to the Apogee party in Santa Monica on the Wednesday that I arrived down mm. in Nam. We took a shuttle bus up there. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize Apogee owns these like little bungalow houses in, oh, and, wow. in and around where the, the main warehousey office type space is. Yeah. So I, I was taken to this little bungalow where Sonos and... Dolby and Apogee had set up this whole Sonos demonstration thing in one of the bungalow's living rooms. 
Oh, wow. And so a bunch of us, it was me, Ryan Olliate, who's been on the show, Dave Way, who's been on the show, Michael Romanowski, who's been on the show. Mm-hmm. And we all got to listen to, well, actually only Ryan and I listened to mixes that we did, now that I think about it. And we played it back on the Sonos Arc with the Sub and the Era 300 speakers in the rear. And I was yeah. blown away. I, I was just <laughs> like, wow. Okay, this is like a serious, now granted, entertainment setup, but it, it definitely like cemented my views on Atmos that much more. So, what's a setup like that running? Do you know? You know, it's definitely a couple grand. Well, that's not horrible. And I don't even think I would go with the soundbar personally because okay. it's really heavy. And I think, you know, <laughs> my, my wife doesn't want it sitting on the hearth above the fireplace. She wants it mounted on the wall. I'd be scared to death that thing would just come crumbling down that heavy yeah it's really there's like i don't know there's a ton of speakers in that thing so heavier than a tv yeah maybe heavier than a tv because i tried to pick it up and i was like damn that thing's heavy <laughs> crazy i'll have to look up the weight but yeah, yeah even the era 300 speakers that they make like two of those i think is a great way to check out atmos hell even a single one would be great but yeah. if that's a recommendation I could make to get you out of headphones and listening on speakers, like an Era 300 or a pair of them, that's like 800 bucks for a pair. Well, okay. Not something you would hook up to your, your studio rig, per se, but you could stream mixes from your phone or your iPad or your computer to those. Yeah, yeah. See, I should get them as a sponsor because I'm talking about it so much. <laughs> uh, but it was cool. I regret selling my... Uh, I had the Odyssey's LCDXs for a while. Yeah. And I ended up selling them a couple of years ago just because I needed money. <laughs> yeah. No other reason than that. And I ended up selling a bunch of studio stuff that time frame. I definitely need to look for a new pair of headphones. I, I have currently in my setup the Barefoot 01s, and I've been mixing through those for the past four years now. Yeah. I haven't really needed. The reason I got those headphones was because I was traveling a lot for work too. Yeah. So tell me about your studio. Is it in the house or is it a separate building outside of the house? No, it's attached to the house. So it's converted family room is what it is. So okay. when we were house shopping years ago, I wanted either a back house or something like this, like an extra nice big room for at the time it was going to be like my jam room for band practices and stuff like that. So yeah, it's attached to my living room. I mean, they could probably hear quite a bit that goes on, um, <laughs> at least tracking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. My family can totally hear through the door here at my <laughs> mind because my door sticks currently, and so I don't shut it all the way. And so every oh, time man. a client or an, another engineer comes over, I'll say, you know, yeah. so, so-and-so is coming over to listen to some Atmos stuff, and everybody's like, oh, shit, we got to hear Rocket Man again. <laughs> which is just like everybody's so sick of Rocket Man in my house. How, it's hilarious. How, how is your family dynamic and you engineering? Is it? Oh, it's great. Very supportive. Yeah. Very supportive. Yeah, absolutely. Are they like my family where once an album is done that I did, they fucking hate the hell out of that thing? They no. don't ever want to hear it in the car? Or <laughs> no, you know, I guess we we have a good balance because, you know, my wife, works from home three days a week. She works from home, but her office is an outbuilding, is an ADU outside of our house. Oh, okay. And my kids are at school all day. And even when my wife's working from home, it's just like when she's out of the house working at the office, it's like, nobody's here. Nobody's inside. It's me and the dog. So oh, okay. it's great. Nobody, nobody hears shit. And then at night, I just, <laughs> I, I kind of tone it down. I actually barely mix out most at night. I'll mostly work on stereo oh, okay. work during the night because I can turn it down and just works out that way. Yeah, see, for me, it's the total opposite. I mix and work. Well, tracking-wise, it's usually on the weekend, so usually the family could just get away. But when I'm mixing, it's always in the evening. They're always around. <sighs> and they don't complain, but yeah, when they, they don't want to be hearing the albums that I just finished mixing in the car <laughs> But I hear you because it's that situation where I remember living in an apartment in San Francisco with roommates 
and yeah. you're mixing something and everybody gets sick of hearing that same passage over and over again. <laughs> when are you going to work on the chorus? You've been on the verse for like the last <laughs> two hours is, is what I would hear. Were you living with other engineers or? I just was living with musicians and oh, okay. you know people who would know and they'd just be like, yeah. man, I don't want to ever hear that song again. I'm sure it deters you from like just conscience of what you're working on is like, I think I've been working on this bass or drums too long. Maybe I should move it just for the sake of the guys or <laughs> for everyone else. You know, you just kind of move it along. Yeah. Not because you're done, but because they're done. <laughs> well, I mean, if you talk to Steve Jenowick, Steve will tell you. I mean, when he moved into his house, primarily during COVID, mm -hmm. you know, his family got the brunt of, <laughs> of his Atmos mixing there in the living room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's their living room, if, if I'm correct. Steve will correct me. He'll text me after this and go, yeah, it was my <laughs> living room. But yeah, it is it is a, a strange dynamic for all of us. I think it's really challenging for those that have roommates in, and they live in, in apartments because it's not only the roommates oh, yeah. you're contending with, it's it's the neighbors. Oh, yeah. I don't even know how that would work, to be honest. Yeah. I really don't. I try not to listen too loud. If I do, it's like really quick, like a quick pass. Mm -hmm. And then I try and, for the most part, mix at a decent level, kind of low on the lower side. I think it's better for, for all of us here in the house. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned the, the Odyssey, the LCDXs. Do you spend a lot of time in headphones? No. Since I sold those, I haven't mixed in headphones at all. You know, I got to be honest with you. I had a variety of Odyssey headphones that I had a hold of and... I ended up choosing the Closeback, the LCD XCs. And really? Andy Hong over at Tape Op has turned me on recently to the head, H-E-D-D. -D. I don't know if that's... Yep. Chad just turned me on to those. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. interesting. Yep. Did you, you heard them or he just talked about them? I heard them, but very, very quickly. He has the ones, I believe, and I think they have like a two version. Mm -hmm. But he says he swears by those wow. now. Okay. Because I know for a long time he had the LCDXs too. Yeah, I remember. But I don't think he spends too much time on headphones anyways. I think it's very rare when he gets on them. Back to, <laughs> away from gear and back on you. <laughs> so as far as getting clients now, you've, you mentioned the word of mouth thing. Does it continue to be that way? Yeah, it's probably not a very good thing if I'm trying to grow my my business <laughs> yeah i should probably get out there more like i've had people tell me oh you should do like tiktoks or like twitch or something like that you know videos of you just mixing it's like man i hate being in front of cameras and doing all that stuff yeah probably sucks for me because I, that just hinders me but i can't see myself doing that <laughs> do you find it challenging you mentioned you're you're a self-confessed introvert so yeah. is that challenging for you as an audio pro to, to be like, when you deal and talk with a lot of people, it's exhausting, right? Well, actually, it's kind of weird. So I think for me, it's more, I can't do the camera or videos and stuff like that. I've, I've tried to the last couple months. I've tried to open that up a little bit more. But mm -hmm. like if I'm one-on-one -on -one with people, it's a lot easier than it is shooting videos and, and doing that sort of thing. So I haven't done it recently, but I like to go to local shows down like in San Bernardino and all that LA area and kind of look for bands or maybe there's a friends that have recommended a certain band for me or something. And then I'll go check them out. And I have no problem like approaching people or introducing myself and putting myself out there. It's more so reaching out kind of on, on Instagram type of thing. That's where I feel a little funny. I don't like to slide into to DMs like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what would you recommend oh well I, i'm an extrovert you don't want to ask me anything i mean call it a blessing or a curse but i'm an extrovert and i can yeah. get fueled off of spending time with people shit i mean i was posting like crazy you like you saw yeah. my posts on instagram i was going absolutely batshit crazy with that yeah during nam and after nam I saw a couple posts from people that said, I didn't take any selfies at NAMM. Does that mean I was there? And I was like, <laughs> I, like I felt it was pointed at me in some way. 
And I had to wow. laugh and I was like, that's okay. I took enough for all of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that to each his own, honestly. I mean, whatever works yeah. for you. Because I mean, we met and after a few conversations, like I was able to convince you to come on the show. And in a sense, that's a form of promotion. Yeah. Other audio pros are going to listen to this and, and up and comers. Yeah. So they may not hire you per se, but <laughs> I don't know. I, like I say, I'm an extrovert. So I think I'm the wrong guy to ask. <laughs> now, Chad's a bit of an introvert, right? Yeah, he's kind of the same way. If he doesn't get a gig in a while, he doesn't really bug him. <laughs> he enjoys his, yeah. his time away. And I mean, look at Andrew and Chad as two examples of the extrovert and the introvert. Both, oh, yeah. are, both are equally <laughs> badass, but it's two very radically different approaches. And, you know, I don't get starstruck, but the first time I did meet Chad in person and he came walking out and mm -hmm. mixed with the Masters in France, I was just kind of like, wow, there he is. There is the guy that's been doing yeah. all these mixes <laughs> that I have adored for years. And there he is in front of me. And I think because you just didn't see him very much. Yeah, he's made a point to be very exclusive to just mix with the masters. Uh-huh. So you don't see him like doing other talks or be on other platforms. I think that's why. Yeah. And I don't know if I told you the story when I first met him at that breakfast. I almost didn't walk in. Really? Yeah, I, I showed up like 15, 20 minutes early and I was waiting in that parking lot and I was nervous as shit, man. <laughs> And I don't want to interrupt, but I do want to preface what, what you're about to say. For you, audience, Chad Blake and Andrew Sheps do traditionally have done, they didn't do it this year, but they traditionally do this thing called We're Thirsty that I think started in England. Yeah. And they would just show up at a bar and send out invites and say, come and join us and let's talk about other cool stuff. Not necessarily audio. And that was a great success. And I think that they tried to bring that concept to Anaheim Mm -hmm. During Nam, there's this like diner. What is it? What's Ruby's? the diner? Ruby's Diner? The Ruby's okay. Diner, yeah. And so we'd all meet at the crack of dawn. Like what time in the morning was <laughs> yeah. that? I think it was like seven or eight or something like that. Yeah. And if you like can't handle getting up early, it was a great way to kind of weed, weed <laughs> the, the slackers out. But like yeah. all, all the early risers who loved Chad and Andrew would show up and we'd all have breakfast together in this place and then kind of mingle and talk and... So that's the setup. And so, Javi, take it from there. Yeah, so I was in the, in the car and I ended up calling my wife. I was like, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could walk in here and meet my hero. Honestly, I was just scared that he was going to turn out to be like a douche or something. Mm -hmm. And then I was going to be heartbroken. <laughs> she ended up saying, you're there, you know, you, you got to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then again, it goes to my introverted self. That, that was one time I was like, I, I can't do it, but. Luckily, I did. And then to make a long story short, the whole train thing brought us together. And that's kind of what connected us. So That's right. Because his son is very into trains. Yes. Yes. That's right. So, so I almost, it almost didn't happen. <laughs> and spoiler alert, audience, Chad Blake is one oh, of the, yeah. the sweetest, coolest, regular people yeah. you will ever meet. And very inspirational on many levels. He's just as great of a person as he is engineer, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. He and, he and Andrew actually are, they may be oh, yeah. polar opposites on their introvert-extrovert spectrum, but they are just seriously great people. <laughs> yeah, until you uh, get a couple of cheesecakes in front of them and then they start <laughs> having a full-on cheesecake talk. <laughs> then they get into the cheesecake minutiae. In classic Working class audio fashion, I will ask you this. You know, I always ask about work-life balance, and you've kind of hinted a little bit at it, but if you could talk a little bit about that, but also mix in a little bit of your financial philosophy of how you take the day job and the audio career, merge them together. So if you could kind of give us a, a broad perspective on these two concepts, what would you say? So as far as the home and studio and I guess day job balance I really don't have say when it comes to my day job it is what it is mm -hmm. so then I try and plan my studio time accordingly to like home schedule like my daughters they do jujitsu during the week 
I kind of plan around things like that or certain events or so if I know I'm going to be at some event tomorrow night, then I might go into later tonight mixing wise or, you know, I'll kind of compensate there or do something like that. But I definitely try and keep everyone happy, you know, keep the family happy, of course, have plenty of family time. I try not to sacrifice anymore. I know early on, like those years I was telling you when I was learning everything, I was sacrificing a lot of family time. I was missing parties and stuff like that. Like I was literally in here like seven days a week. So mm. now that I kind of weaned off a little bit from that, I, I definitely make it a point to balance the life and studio. And then financially is just, like I said, the day job provides everything for, for the home life and studio life too. <laughs> so like all the finances from the studio, obviously come back into the studio. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't make enough to call it like an income really, like to depend on it to pay bills. So it's just more of a, just like a little pot. And then it just eventually becomes, you know, the next piece of hardware, next microphone or, and then on top of that, I'm still investing from my personal money. I think I have plenty now. I can't really justify to buy all this crazy gear with the type of work that I'm getting now. So that's my main thing when it comes to buying gear. It's like, I need to be able to justify. So it'll take me like literally six to 12 months for me to buy like a preamp or a channel strip. I recently bought a pair of Chandler TG cassettes and that took me about a year to like, finally like decide which ones and am I gonna put them to use? Or are they just gonna be sitting there? And, I have to justify like, all right, they're going to add value and I'm going to use them as often as possible. So when it comes to plugins, though, uh, I might get a little plugin happy. Don't um, we all? (laughs) Especially if there's some hype or you always have friends. Oh, have you checked this plugin out? It's amazing. But other than that, like how honestly, what I'll do at times, I'll I'll just unfollow or mute all the plugin companies for a while. (laughs) Because if I see all their ads, I'm going to buy everything up. So I, I, I do it for me. I do it for my family. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I try my best and justify all my purchases. And I don't, I don't go over that threshold. Yeah. I love that you save up and plan and plot and evaluate your purchases of hardware carefully. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. You have to when you're spending a lot of money. Maybe a certain mic like a SM7 is not that huge of a thing, but when you're getting into bigger priced items, that's when you might put a little more thought into it, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I will say this, and this is no knock on, on those that don't have kids, but I will just say that when you have kids, it just kind of, mm-hmm. it alters everything on your, oh yeah, all your decision-making when it comes to money. Because you have to think through it. And then obviously, if you're spending above a certain threshold, you know, the responsible thing to do, I'm sure you'd agree, (laughs) is to check with your significant other to see if it's, you know, hey, I'm going to do this. Just letting you know, are you cool with this? Or you don't don't want it to be a big surprise? Yeah, of course. Any big purchase has to run through my wife. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Absolutely. She actually works now too. So kind of lightens the load. She wasn't working for a while because we had our girls my little one, she's in second grade now. So once she got into kindergarten is when she went to, back to work. But yeah. all those years that between my oldest and then my little one getting to kindergarten, she was not working. She was a stay at home and taking care of the girls. So I appreciate that very much as well. Well, I'll tell you this. How old is your oldest? 11. Okay. So you're, you're, you're well on your way here. Having a, <laughs> having a 15 and an 18 year old now like there's light at the end of the tunnel because <laughs> your time is like, they're, they're going to be headed out of the house at some point. And that changes the dynamic greatly on so many different levels. Obviously yeah. I'll be sad to see them go out and leave the nest, but I'll be very happy as well. But it's, it's, it's definitely um, something to think about. I smell spaghetti cooking in the other room. So <laughs> I, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call I, it. I, I'm not even lying. I think my wife's making spaghetti tonight too. I know. It's like Wednesday night spaghetti night. It's in the air, I guess. 
Well, I want to thank you for making time for me, Javi. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to uh, seeing you again next NAM, if not sooner. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll be <laughs> yeah. down to LA sooner than the next NAM, certainly. So maybe we can yeah, hang call out. me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Javi Banuelos here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. If you do like this show, my only ask is that you head on over to your podcast aggregator and leave a five-star review. If you have the time to write something nice about the show, that also helps. It, it lets people know that there's something cool going on here. That is all for me today. So I do want to thank my crew, who I'm deeply appreciative of, and that would be Anne-Marie Plo in the editing Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song and that magical voice that's been with us all this time from the very beginning, Chuck Smith, the voice greeting you at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn and feel free to send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.